Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. Hey, this is Chelsea Erson, creator, writer, and host of Dear Young Rocker, and this is OPP. God bless everybody, and welcome back to another episode of OPP. Other people's podcast highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Chelsea Erson, host of the amazing podcast, Dear Young Rocker. Dear Young Rocker is a raw, music-oriented audio memoir. In this scripted narrative podcast, listeners both laugh and empathize with our protagonist, Chelsea, as she struggles to feel cool enough to exist and find a home in music. It's also a series of letters from older Chelsea to her younger self, reminding us all that as alone as we may have felt at this age, there's so many others out there who felt just like us. In this interview, we're going to learn more about Chelsea, her love for music. We get into her podcaster's picks. And of course, we get into her dope show, Dear Young Rocker. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Chelsea Erson. Yo, what's poppin'? Hey, Corey. Oh, not much. Just trying to keep the germs away, but doing pretty good. I know. I know. It's Corona season out here in the streets. It sure is. And I'm sneezing, but I'm not coughing. So I'm hopeful the flowers are blooming. The air is warming. Things are going to look up soon, I think. There we go. That's the attitude and that's the spirit during this uh, very interesting time in the world. But other than that, how was life going for you? How's everything in podcast land? It's good. It's good. So, you know, my podcast, I originally released independently over a year ago. And then this year it's been picked up by the Double Elvis Productions crew who make Disgraceland and re-released on the iHeartRadio network. So I've got a a whole bigger audience and and things are happening for me. So I'm pretty happy about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you know, we're going to get into your show in just a little bit, but I know that you have a strong a love for music, clearly, by your podcast. So you know, tell me, how did you first get into music growing up? Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a family thing. My parents don't play music or anything like that. No one was, you know, telling me to pick up an instrument. But I just, you know, connected with certain songs on the radio. And then I got my mom to buy me CDs. And then 
Next thing I knew, I just wanted to be, you know, closer to those songs I loved because that was my escape from everything as a kid. And I just decided I wanted to play the bass guitar around age 11 or 12. I got my first—I got an acoustic guitar first, but then soon after that, realized I was a bass player, started playing bass in middle school, and then freshman year of high school, 14 years old, got my first band, and, you know, there's been a few breaks, but on and off, I've pretty much been playing in bands, yeah, since I was 14, and I'm 31 now, and I'm still playing in bands and going strong. Look, I was in a band for a long time. My background was in music, and my favorite people in the band were the bass players because the bass players are the glue of the band. Like, the bass player is the yeah. person in the band that you want to marry. Like, they yeah. have, like, the long marriage. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, what attracted you to the bass? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's just, it's such a physical instrument. I mean, the drums are, too, and the guitar to an extent. But for me, it's those bass frequencies that kind of, like, they hit you in the middle of the body, like, in the hips. It's it's the instrument that makes everyone shake their butts, is what I say, and makes everyone nod their heads. And the drummer thinks it's them. <laughs> but, you know, the bass is kind of the glue between the drums and the melody and the singing and the guitar. And I like being that rock that's kind of holding everyone together and holding it down. And then getting to do your own little thing here and there, whether or not anyone notices it. But you get to be like the cool one in the back holding it down. So that's what I like. You know, like growing up for me, like I was a huge Kanye West fan growing up. Like he was the person that I mm-hmm. looked at and I said, yo, like I'm just like you and I want to do what you're doing. Uh, and like you're suburban, like I'm suburban and you're black, like I'm black. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I want to rap just like you. Who was a person in the music industry or or a musical artist that inspired you that you identify with early on? Yeah. So the first band I was obsessed with was the Smashing Pumpkins. And soon after that, the Pixies. And they both have female bass players. So Darcy Retsky and the Smashing Pumpkins, she was the original bass player. I just thought she was the coolest looking person ever. And then in the Pixies, Kim Deal who also has her own bands, Breeders and the Amps. And those two women just looked so powerful to me playing the bass. And that's what I wanted to emulate. Tell me the story of the origin of your first band and how they came together for you. And how old were you? Yeah, so I got in my first band when I was like 14 and a half, I guess. It was freshman year of high school. I didn't form the band. I guess they had formed, you know, at the beginning of the year, and this was more toward the end of the year. I was in English class, and I was, like, the shyest kid. I had never talked to anyone (laughs) besides my, like, two friends from middle school. I hadn't made any friends in high school. I was convinced I would never be able to talk out loud to another kid and go up and introduce myself. But in English class, I heard these boys talking about how they needed a bass player for their band. And they were talking about Nirvana and stuff, which I kind of knew. And I just was like, this is it. This is my chance. If I don't speak out loud right now, like, I'm never going to get in a band in my life. My social life will be over. Like, this is it. And somehow I just eked out, like, hey, can I try out, guys? And they gave me their numbers. And I went to my first band practice. And they said that I did well. I nailed all the songs, and then I was in my first band that was called Samsara, which was, you know, a Nirvana total ripoff kind of band. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's up. And 
you know, what are the challenges or were there any challenges that you faced, you know, being a, a female, which I'm assuming was a, a male dominated band? Was there any challenges at all? And tell me about your experience early on. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't self-aware at the time. I was really sort of defensive, I think. And I was just kind of like, like, it doesn't matter what my gender is. Like, I'm just a bass player. And I wouldn't let myself think of myself any other way than just a bass player. And I just wanted to be seen that way. So I practiced my butt off because I was the only girl I knew of that played any rock music at all. Like, and I went to a big high school of like 2,000 kids. And I was, yeah, I was the only girl who played. And I just wanted to not have anyone pay attention to me for being different. I just wanted them to look at my bass playing. But I don't think I would have had that pressure to practice so much and to be as good as I did get if I had just been a boy. I probably would have been like, yeah, I can just join any band I want. But to me, I was like, I have to be perfect. So they can't say you're good enough for a girl. You know, you're good for a girl. That's the last thing I wanted to hear. I wanted to be you know, tough and cool and perfect at the base. And that was it. And that attitude stuck with me for a long time until I was a little older and realized, yeah, you know, I was treated differently because everyone in my band tried to date me and then, you know, hated me when I broke up the band because I realized I didn't want to date these guys that basically forced me to date them. So, yeah, it shaped a lot of my my high school social life and my early music career too. Yeah, you know, yeah, for young bass players or, or young musicians, young female musicians who are, you know, stepping into that male dominated space. We talk so much about, you know, the office space and, you know, like that side of of, you know, female navigation in the workplace. But on in the band side, what advice do you have for young women when entering, you know, a band setting that's male dominated? You know, don't pretend you're not different. It sucks to feel different. Like, that is the last thing you want to feel as a teenager is, like, like you want to stand out. You want to be cool, but you want to be in control of that. The last thing you want to do is have other people label you as different. But you have to accept if you're different from the people around you and the ways that you are. And you should embrace that. But you have to acknowledge it because if you're the only girl in a band, people might try to date you. People might dismiss your ideas. And you don't have to be super defensive about it, but just keep that in mind because certain reactions to your playing might not make any sense, probably because the boys might be intimidated actually by you if you are really good or if you can even hold your own and they might try to put you down and say you made mistakes here, there, whatever it is. And just, you know, be sure of yourself and proud of yourself for being different and doing this thing with other people. But yeah, just always, always be aware of it. And yeah, be extra proud that you aren't like everyone else and you're still holding your own. That's, that's a great answer. I was listening to your first episode and which is an amazing episode. And I really got to get a better understanding of what you were going through at your time in adolescence, just as not just a musician, but also as a young woman growing up in the world. Uh, and you brought up a really interesting point. It was something I had never thought about, but I want to touch on it. And the beginning of this interview was about females having an outlet and being able to let out aggression. 
that that to me like really really stuck with me because as a young boy you were right in your episode when you touched on we can go out and go play football or it's encouraged to to scream and yell and and i don't know just kind of let out our teen angst but what do you think we can do better you know i'm in my young 30s as you're in your young 30s and i know one day i'll be a parent you know what can parents do in the future to give their young daughter or communities or schools or teachers to give young girls an opportunity to let out that that aggression in a way yeah well i think the first step is to destigmatize it and to create awareness because so many kids feel angry and feel like they want to break stuff. And that is a genderless thing. That is part of having hormones that are changing when you're, you know, anywhere from like 11 to early 20s even. And that that affects people of every gender, but it's only seen as normal for boys. And I remember in high school, like, there were a couple girls who got in fights all the time, and they were just, you know— Everyone talked about them behind their back, how they were trashy, they were this and that, you know, crazy, whatever. It was like the worst thing, unless you wanted to have that reputation, that was like the worst kind of girl that you could be. But boys gun fights all the time, and it was like, oh, tomorrow he'll be fine. Like, he had to get it out of his system. It's boys being boys, or he'll get it out on the football field. So I think talking to kids, any kid in your life, and being like, you know, when I was young, I I felt angry and I wanted to hit stuff and break stuff too, and that's normal. And if you have those feelings, hey, try banging on a guitar. Maybe suggest some kind of music that has heavy parts to it or has heavier lyrics. I know we're supposed to protect kids from stuff, but something real world that has an emotional component to it that they can put on their headphones and, you know, bang their head and jump around to. Or it could be sports. Like, you know, there's a lot of sports that you get to at least run around and kind of burn off some of that energy. For me now, I I exercise a lot. As a kid, I don't think I would have ever exercised, but I did play field hockey a little bit. And I got to kind of like get some aggression out there, and then I got some aggression out playing rock music, and that was my my biggest outlet. And no one suggested that to me, and I think I'm just really lucky that I just pushed and got that. I got into that myself, and I'm lucky that I had parents that were like, okay, we'll give you these loud instruments instead of like, heck no. They were like, okay, save up your money and buy this, and you can have it in our house. But yeah, just understand that a lot of girls feel the same way and non-binary kids and trans kids feel the same way that boy football players do. It's just they might not be allowed to feel that way. So we got to we got to talk about all about aggression with every adolescent kid, I think. Mm, that's a great answer. Uh, Chelsea, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to your podcast, Dear Young Rocker. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
All right, Chelsea, we are back. Okay, so tell me, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? Ooh, so I wasn't very aware of it when I started podcasting. I did have a job. I did some copywriting for a kid's science podcast called Wow in the World. And I think that was honestly my first exposure to podcasts. This was only like three years ago now. And I didn't know there was such a huge wealth of independent podcasts doing so many creative things. I came from the writing side. I actually wrote a book that was my MFA thesis, and I turned that into Dear Young Rocker because I didn't know how to get a book published. And so I just kind of like made this podcast myself, not knowing what the heck I was doing. I knew a little bit of audio recording because I was a I was a sound recording engineer for like major for one semester in college, and I play music. But a lot of the stuff was unexplored territory. So I hadn't really listened to many podcasts before I started making my own, and I just kind of paved my own way. Yeah. How did Dear Young Rocker, tell me the origin story of how Dear Young Rocker became a podcast. Yeah. So like I said, I wrote this book where I wanted to deal with those issues of female adolescents dealing with aggression and about just music as an outlet for so many people for mental health issues and my own story of dealing with all those things through music. So I wrote this book and then I kind of got told that if you're not famous, you can't really publish a memoir because the way book markets are now, they want you to just already have a platform or sort of be famous on the internet. And I was like, I don't have time to get myself internet famous first to publish this book. So after working for a while in the world, I said, you know what? I think I can make my own podcast. I know how to write. I know how to make music. And I just did everything myself. I was like, it's too hard to look for free royalty-free music, so I'm just going to write the theme song myself, and I'm just going to make all the transition music myself, and I'm just going to engineer this whole thing because I can't pay someone else to do it. And I was an adjunct at a couple different colleges teaching, like, intro to college writing, making, like, peanuts and baristaing at cafes, too. So I had, like, weird hours, and I just put like every spare minute of my day into this thing. And then I just created my own style of this like storytelling with sound design slash advice show. And then it became Dear Young Rocker. Yeah. So, you know what, for folks who have not listened to the podcast yet, which is an amazing podcast, please give me the uh, elevator pitch for the show. Sure. So Dear Young Rocker is... An audio memoir of feeling isolated and different and alone and angry and finding a home in rock music. And it's a series of letters of advice from my current self to my younger self. So it's advice for young people and it's a story. Because how did it come to be that, uh, that you would team up with, with Double Elvis? So, yeah, I put my podcast out independently over a year ago. And I just went crazy trying to meet people because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know who I needed to meet. I didn't know how podcast networks worked or anything. But I just went to every networking event I could and met everyone and told them about this thing. And then I met Brady Sadler, who has Double Elvis Productions, which is a production company that makes Disgraceland, which is a very popular music true crime show. 
And Brady heard my show and loved it and passed it on to Jake Brennan, the creator of Disgraceland, and he loved it. And they were going to—they were at this point where they wanted to make a roster of a bunch of new podcasts and pitch them networks. But they heard mine and said, like, this is the perfect, you know, mix of music and storytelling and all the things we're into. Let's have Chelsea be a part of this. And so they helped me get that network deal with iHeartRadio. And so now I'm a part of Double Elvis Productions. You know, one thing, we have a very similar background is that I'm a— uh, hip hop artists and, you know, you are a bass player and a band and, you know, we're both super uber creative people in the music space. But how has this been for you being creative as a storyteller and a journalist in a way as a podcaster? How has that creative switch been for you? Yeah, it's been great. It's honestly like it's been more hours of work. I'm sure you understand more hours of work than I've ever put into anything in my life. And I love it. I felt like I had writer's block for a while. I, like, couldn't get myself to write new stories when I thought I was just going to be a writer and then do music separately. But when I married the two things together and did this podcast, I was like, nope, this is what I'm meant to do. It's just the two things I love at the same time, working off of each other. And so, yeah, I still spend so much time on this thing, and I just love the challenge of, like, editing the audio, getting the music to fit with it. It just feels like I, what I'm meant to do, and I hope to have a long career in this industry. You know, for young kids or young people or people in general who are going to listen to, you know, Dear Young Rocker, what do you want them to walk away with learning from your story and from the podcast? Well, I just want them to know that however different and weird and alone they feel— that there are just so many others out there who feel the same and they're weird in different ways, but your weirdness is what makes you cool and embracing that instead of trying to push it away and try to be like everyone else, embracing that's what, that will be what makes you, you. So I want people to be happy about being a weirdo, basically, and to know it's going to be okay and to connect with other people who feel that way and understand that what they're going through is normal, as isolating as it can be. You're going to be okay and you're going to find others who like these things that you like. And yeah, life will go on and you'll make your own weird path. And Chelsea, what did you learn about, you know, yourself and creating this podcast? Well, you know, I really learned that I'm not that much different from my teenage self. As much as we all want to think we're like mature now and we don't have, and you know, thank God we don't have as many emotional ups and downs. Like those teenage feelings are still the core of who you are. So You know, when I, I obviously I write the parts of my younger self, but when I hear her air quotes speak, I'm like, wow, I still really relate to you. And I think we all need to stay in touch with our younger selves and not just try to lock them away in a closet and be like, that's a different person because it'll help us have more empathy to the young people around us now and take them seriously because they have some good ideas, even if. They seem a little immature, a little too emotional, like 
emotions are good. Like, you don't want to kill all your emotions. So, yeah, I feel like I'm more in touch with that younger, more emotional part of me. Wow. So, Chelsea, we've come to a part of the show called Our Podcasters Picks. Now, this is when I ask the special guests of today's episode to provide me with their top three favorite podcasts that they enjoy that we should be listening to. So, Chelsea, take it away. Yeah. So, I don't know. Nothing I have is that (laughs) out of the ordinary. But I do think every citizen of the United States should listen to the 1619 podcast. It's a short series from the New York Times, and it tells us about how slavery has impacted and influenced every single part of culture and business and economics and everyday life in this country. So that was really eye-opening one for me, and it's like beautifully sound designed and hosted and put together. Um, They have an awesome music episode. If you only do one, I suggest that one, and then it will make you want to listen to the rest. So 1619 is one of my top ones. Let's see. Another one. I'm going to give you an episode. Uh, Reply All's most recent episode is called The Case of the Missing Hit. And if you're into music at all and you want to break from the seriousness of things right now and just be immersed in one story. Listen to the case of the missing hit. It has so many twists and turns. It's like a mystery musical adventure. And I won't spoil the ending, but it's a really good payoff with ending. And I enjoyed the heck out of that. And it brought me out of my head completely. And then another one back to kind of a real world heavier one is a new one from new-ish one from Lemonada Media, and it's called Last Day. And that follows people's last day on Earth. So it's about people dying, about mostly about addiction and the opioid epidemic. The creator lost her brother to addiction, and it's a really important one, I think, again, for anyone living in America— probably any other country, to just understand all the personal and bigger reasons that this is happening and how it all connects. Wow. Chelsea, before we get out of here, why do you podcast? Why do I podcast? Great question. (laughs) I podcast to uh, put the feelings I have inside me that feel impossible to explain to other people into the world in a way that will impact other people and hopefully increase their empathy for others and get them to just enjoy a story and think about life. Chelsea Erson, thank you so much for being a guest on OPP. I really appreciate you. I'm really rocking with Dear Young Rockets, It's an amazing podcast. You have an amazing story to tell. And uh, thank you so much for contributing your story to the podcasting space. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. Yo, you are the best. Pod bless and take care out there. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP. And to our special guest, Chelsea Erson. You can find Dear Young Rocker on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Compost Media Flow. Theme music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave me a five-star rating in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcasters in the review section. 
Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pop bless everybody. Till next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.